Arsene Wenger is a legend. He's also an enigma, but he's an original. There will never be another Wenger. The modern game doesn't allow for it. Churn them and burn them. That's modern sports. Hello, sunshine. I'm Alexi Lalas, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. As you heard, we'll be pouring one out for Arsene Wenger's historic Arsenal run. We will have our Mossy Makes the Case segment. We'll be answering your questions in our Ask Alexi segment. We'll have our World Cup date segment and so much more. But first, as always, joining me, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. How are you, Mr. Mossy? I am good. The jersey of choice this week is an old-school Rivaldo Barcelona jersey. Ooh, and any particular reason for this uh, jersey? Well, he was very much in the news this past weekend for suggesting that Neymar should go to Real Madrid, which as a Barcelona legend saying that was uh, quite the story. Well, this weekend, uh, I watched a lot of soccer, but I also refereed. I refereed my first adult game, uh, and this was a, a Hispanic league. Everyone was speaking Spanish, including yours truly, screaming and yelling back and forth at these over 38 players. They actually were pretty good, uh, although uh, they, th- there was families on the side that were screaming, screaming at the referee to call penalties and to give cards. But ultimately, everybody had a good time. Nobody really got hurt and I came through relatively unscathed for my first adult referee experience. So that was fun. Uh, all right, let's get to this pod, right? You ready to go? We'll light this candle? Yep. All right. As always, we start with Alexi Lawless's State of the Union. Yes, as you heard, this is what I have to say about the state of soccer. As Jim Morrison once wrote, this is the end. My only friend, the end. Arsenal manager Arsene Wenger announced that he will not be returning next season, thus ending a historic 22-year run that saw him become the most successful manager in Arsenal history. A run that included three Premier League titles, seven FA Cups, and an undefeated season in 2003-04. Now, I suppose it's the measure of Arsene Wenger's impact on the game and the unique aspect of his longevity that the articles about the decision read more like obituaries than news reports. But the last 10 years have not been good for Wenger. He hasn't been able to live up to or replicate the success of his first decade. Hashtag Wenger out has become a global phenomenon. At times, Arsenal fans have even seen losing as a better result for the club. There are plenty that will revel in this announcement. But the fact is, 99% of the clubs in the world would have parted ways with him years ago. Such is his power at the club and the reverence he's shown. Wenger is a legend. He's also an enigma but he's an original. There will never be another Wenger. The modern game doesn't allow for it. Greg Popovich, 22 years. Bill Belichick, 18 years. Mike Sosha, 18 years. Joe Quinville, 10 years. Peter Vermes, 10 years. They are all exceptions to the rule and endangered species. Churn them and burn them. That's modern sports. Yes, Arsene Wenger stayed too long at the party, but in many ways, it was his party. He planned it, he hosted it, and ultimately, he paid for it. In that sense, we can surely forgive him for dancing alone at the end of the night to the song of his choice as the spent confetti is swept up from the floor around him. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is my State of the Union for the week. All right, David Mossy, thoughts on this announcement from Wenger? 
Well, before we get to Wenger, let me say one thing about coaching longevity. Uh, of course, I think he stayed too long, but generally speaking, I do believe that if you have success at a club, it should buy you some currency, which is a basic concept in American sports, but doesn't seem to apply in the rest of the world. There's no scenario where Doug Peterson is going to be fired next season. That's the Eagles head coach. If the Warriors don't win the title this season, Steve Kerr isn't going to get fired. And yet Zinedine Zidane went into that round of 16 tie against PSG with his job legitimately on the line, which to me is ludicrous. The guy won back-to-back Champions League titles. He should be allowed to eat a bad season. Antonio Conte is going to be fired by Chelsea in a few weeks. Everybody seems fine with that. The guy won the Premier League last season. So I find that off-putting. Yes, the Wenger situation was an extreme the other way. There was too much loyalty, too much currency for past successes. But I think there's a happy medium there between how Arsenal handled Wenger and how, say, Chelsea treat their managers. Yeah, but I hear the Arsenal faithful saying, or at least the anti-Wenger faithful from Arsenal saying, it's not about eating a season. I think that all of them would agree that that is certainly certainly applies to this this legend. But come on, Mossy, it's not you don't get to eat a decade. No, no, absolutely. I'm just, Wenger was an extreme the other way, but I'm just making a larger point about how people talk about, oh, you'll never see Wenger's again. But I wish managers were given a little bit more time in the modern game. I think it's swung too far in the other direction. But it also goes back to what we talked about, this, this super club phenomenon now. And Arsenal, what they were, and maybe the perception might be very different from what the reality is now. And while they certainly are perennial top four-ish type of teams, they... They haven't been left behind because they, they can certainly compete from a financial perspective, but they are not looked at yet as one of those super elite super clubs right now. And that's the problem because many Arsenal folks and I think still people outside believe that that's what they should be. And so maybe in a certain sense, they're treating they're treating it as a super club, but it isn't a super club yet. Although I would argue that it needs to be a super club, and it's stuck in this strange netherworld where it doesn't really know what it what it what it's going to be. While it maybe knows what it wants to be, I'm not sure that 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 they're there yet. Yeah, it's funny. Charles Barkley jokes that every funeral he's ever been to, they make the person who died out to be the greatest human being that's ever lived. And sometimes he wonders if he's at the right funeral. And it's true. When you get to the end of things, people like to focus more on the positives. We saw this a couple of months ago when Ronald Dinger retired. And here's a guy that spent the whole back nine of his career getting dinged for having wasted his talent. And then as soon as he retired, it was this love fest. And everybody talked about what a legend he is. And so you got that sense with Wenger the last couple of days, too. It was so positive, this outpouring of love. And it's funny because people didn't have too many nice things to say about him over the last 10 years. So oh, stop. I think it's natural to stop, do it. Stop, though. I, th- th- this, this narrative that's come out over the last few days of people screaming and yelling at those that were, oppo- that, were that, that opposed Wenger or were critical of Wenger, saying, you're being disingenuous now when you say he's a legend and you want to thank him for that. Almost almost to a person, when they were talking about Wenger, they, they uh, oftentimes they just prefaced it by saying, look, he, he, we, we, we love what he did for our club, but it's gone on too long. And so I don't think it's, it's disingenuous for those that even were, were incredibly critical of him to say he's a legend, we want to thank him. And then also revel in this moment because they have gotten what they what they what they have wanted for let's be honest a, a long time. But I, I think it, I, I, th- I think it's funny to hear people talk about uh, the folks out there and saying, "Well, you should just continue to be anti Wenger and you should continue to be critical in this moment, and, you, and that you can't have a piece of you recognize what this man has done, not just for Arsenal, by the way, but what he did for the Premier League." 
No, no, I, I agree with you. I wasn't saying it like there's some big contradiction there. I just think it's a funny thing in human nature. We all we all do it. That you know, when you get to the end, we 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 tend to be a little bit more positive and circumspect about these things. As far as his legacy, He's not dying though. Okay, <laughs> all right. As far as uh, once again, this 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 whole obituary yeah. uh, funeral type of, of vibe, and it's but it, it's it's unavoidable. Yeah, and this yeah, is, no. It's almost as if, well, he can never coach again. No, I mean, it's, he's Arsene Wenger. He can coach pretty much anywhere in the world that he wants. And he hasn't closed that door at all. As far as his legacy, look, Arsene, uh, I'm sorry, Sir Alex Ferguson is the best manager in Premier League history. There's been 26 seasons in the Premier League. He won the title in 13 of them, so I don't think there's much debate there. But if you swap the, swap the word best for influential, then you can make a case for Wenger because the popularity of the Premier League didn't really take off until after he got there. It didn't become this global behemoth mm-hmm. until Wenger arrived. And a lot of it had to do with the type of players he signed the type of football he played. He opened a lot of doors for other managers of his ilk and other kinds of players to come to England that I think took the Premier League to the next level. I, I would submit this to you uh, for, for Wenger also. Because he was the coach, the manager, I think he suffered when things didn't go well. If he had been the, whatever, sporting director, technical director, whatever you want to call it, I think he would still have a pristine reputation and be revered even more so right now because this is a man that not only understood the X's and O's on the field, but also the dollars and cents, pounds, euros, whatever you want to to talk about, off the field. And he incorporated it into how he went about his business, not just the, the, the business of the game on the field, but also the business off of the field. And I think that's what endeared him, especially internally to the folks there, because this was a guy who understood that this was ultimately a business and how they went about that business was important to have coordination and understanding between the players, the team on the field, that product on the field, and the business of monetizing it off the field. And I think sometimes that put him, uh, I, I certainly think that makes him unique in, in managers out there, but I would, I would have been really interested to see had he not had that manager and coach title, how he would be looked at at this moment. Now, as far as a replacement for him, uh, I'm on record as saying I think Leonardo Jardin at Monaco is the perfect replacement for Wenger. Now, he's been linked with Chelsea uh, recently, so uh, we'll see if he ends up there instead. Uh, Let me say this about Patrick Vieira. I think Patrick Vieira, I'm okay with him being on the list of candidates. I think he's an interesting choice, but... I think you you got to put in a call to a couple other people first, like Max Allegri types that are home run, sure things. And then if they say no, then maybe you can go to Patrick Vera. But maybe don't call Allegri today because you might be in a sour mood after Juventus <laughs> lost that game to Napoli. But there's a couple of guys on that level that I think you got to pursue first before you go the Patrick Vera route. I think Arsenal, it's a very attractive job, the allure of the Premier League, uh, living in London. And also, ironically enough, the fact that you don't have these suffocating expectations of other super clubs. I don't think you feel like Arsenal a place where you're going to go and you have to win the Champions League or you're a failure. So I think it's actually a very appealing job. Plus, I remember when Sir Alex left and I said, the moment he left, I said, you do not want to be the guy that replaces the legend. You want to be the guy that replaces the guy that replaces the legend. And in this case, you really have nowhere to go but up when it comes to Arsenal because it, it has not been good. Let me just read off over here on uh, one of the betting si- sites that uh, shall remain nameless. Luis Enrique at 2-1, to one, Ancelotti at 5-1, to one, Yogi Lowe at 8-1, to one, Patrick Vieira at 9-1, to one, Brendan Rodgers at 10-1, to one, Allegri at 10-1, to one, Arteta at 10-1, to one, Tuchel at 12-1, to one, Jardim, you said Jardim, is that what you want? 14-1, yep. to one, Benitez at 14-1, Diego Simeone 16 Eddie Howe, 16, Nagelsmann, 16, Thierry Henry, 18 to 1, and Conti at 22 
to one. So Conti at yeah, twenty two. Yeah, way, way up. There. But <laughs> Luis Enrique, from a betting perspective, right now is uh, is leading the charge here. Uh, let me say this about Patrick Vieira because this is this is for real. This type of talk about Patrick Vieira because he is a a club legend. He understands what's going on. I I would. I would say that Patrick Vieira's, and I know I'm an MLS shill, and I wear it on my sleeve, and guilty as charged, but I would say that the experience that Patrick Vieira has had in MLS has accelerated his growth as a professional coach and has given him a unique view and a unique experience that I think can benefit him in incredible ways going to coach Arsenal because of the parity that we talked about, because of the way that he has actually set his team up to play consistently and his philosophy and the way that he thinks about the game, all of those different things. I think that he is a very interesting choice. I don't ultimately think it's going to happen, but the fact that he is only coached in Major League Soccer from a professional perspective and youth over in in England, I think that's going to... That's going to turn some folks off, but it's unfortunate because I think it would be an inspired choice. I have a lot of respect and time for Patrick Vera for what he has done with that team and in a unique way, especially even compared to to other MLS teams and other MLS coaches over there. Who do you think ultimately gets this? Hmm. So you don't think it'll be Patrick Vera? I don't think it will be Patrick Vera, and it's a shame because it should be. Well... Uh, boy, from that list you read, boy, guys like Ancelotti and Yogi Love seem like odd choices to me. So I, if, if, if it's not a done deal for Tuchel at PSG, I, I could see him getting it. Maybe they listen to me and go with Jardine. Uh, and then I think Allegri is the home run choice. I think if, if he's willing to come, then they would hire him. But whoever comes in, don't they have to change the culture? I mean, don't they have to change the very thing that Arsene Wenger is known for? I mean, he fundamentally changed the culture of Arsenal and the culture of the Premier League, as we were talking about. So isn't, isn't this a case of somebody coming in and tearing down everything that Arsene Wenger stood for and did? It'd be great if the replacement comes in his first press conference. He says the goal is to finish top four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've, cha- we've changed our goals right now. We need to aim higher. <laughs> so the goal this year is to finish top four. Well, look, I think that this is a, a plum type of position. I think there'll be a lot of people that will seriously consider it. And, you know, there might even be some names, as we mentioned uh, here in this list, that come out this summer relative to the World Cup. Uh, it's going to be so fun to see who replaces it. And it's also going to be fun to see where Wenger goes and, and what he does. I know there's some talk out there about him possibly coming to the United States to coach the U.S. men's national team. I think that's absurd. I think it's ridiculous. And I don't think that that is the move. After all I've said about how much respect I have for him and the legend that he is, I just don't think that that is the move that he needs and, more importantly, the move that U.S. soccer needs. Okay, we've come to the end of our Wenger Palooza. Moving on. Mossy makes the case. Yes, as you heard, it's time for Mossy Makes the Case. David, what do you have for the good folks this week? My case this week is that Jurgen Klopp, a man who likes to laugh more than any human being I've ever seen, (laughs) might get the last laugh. The Champions League semifinals begin this week. There were five English clubs at the start of the knockout stage. There's only one left. It is not Manchester City, not Manchester United. It is Liverpool, which is pretty fascinating when you consider all the fanfare surrounding Pep Guardiola and Jose Mourinho, who have done well at their clubs. Pep winning the Premier League this season in spectacular fashion, also the League Cup. Mourinho won the League Cup and Europa League last season. He's in the FA Cup final. But it's Klopp who might win the biggest prize of all. 
But the interesting thing is, even without having won a trophy yet for Liverpool, I actually think that he's the most beloved of the three amongst his fan base. I think Liverpool fans love Klopp certainly more than United fans love Mourinho, and I think even more than City fans love Pep. I think City with Pep, there's a respect there, there's an admiration, they're thrilled that he's their coach, but there's also an understanding that he's something of a hired gun. He's going in there for three or four years to do a job, and then he's going to leave. Same thing with Mourinho at United. Well, with Klopp, there's a real sense that he's in this for the long haul. His track record is seven years at Mines, seven years at Dortmund, and I could easily see him staying like 10 years at Liverpool. I I know we talked about how there's never going to be another Arsene Wenger, but if there is a top manager in England right now that I could actually see having that kind of run with a club, it's Klopp. I think he's playing the long game here. He thinks he's going to be there long long after Pep and Mourinho have departed uh, their clubs, and I think he's the one that's actually going to build this real legacy and real sense of identification with his club. We've already seen it. His enthusiasm has been infectious. He's lifted the spirits of that club and boy if he wins the Champions League this season he would achieve this legendary status and I I think he could end up staying there for a very very long time but just like any player that plays for a Liverpool uh, or an Arsenal um, or a Chelsea what what keeps him there if someone big comes along what keeps him there if Real Madrid comes along or if Barcelona comes along I don't know. He doesn't strike me as that type of guy. You know, he 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 strangely wasn't mentioned that much with Bayern. I don't I don't think he's been mentioned that much with any other job. There's a sense that he's really happy there and and looking for some stability. And I think he's really bought into Liverpool and what a special club that is. And so, uh, I my my vibe my sense of that is that he he's he's in it for the long haul. He wants to stay at Liverpool for a very long time and build something long lasting there. Uh, you, you mentioned his resume of of staying for what is relatively a long time in this day and age, right? <laughs> yeah. seven, seven years. But you also mentioned something at the very top, I think that's, that's, that's interesting and I think important, is his personality and his character. And you talked about laughing and all this, you know, and, the, and the rock star type of, uh, of character and personality he has. And it's infectious. You, you, you want to sit down with him. And whether, he's, whether it's just a, a back and forth that you want to have a beer with him, or even his passionate and, inten- and intense vibe that you see on the sideline, it's something that you want. So I'm curious, do you think that if a Pep or a Mourinho was doing the exact same thing at the exact same moment for this Liverpool team, would they get as much credit? I mean, because this is, this is a battle for hearts and minds, and it's not just the results. You have to have the results, but I would, I would also argue that this particular personality transcends, and that's where a lot of this power and this love and admiration is, is, is coming from. Definitely. Certainly in comparison to Mourinho. Uh, (laughs) I think there is an intangible aspect to Klopp at Liverpool right now. Uh, The part of the Klopp package is just this personality, this excitement that he brings just by the way he is and the way he behaves. And I I think, yeah, that's a big reason why Liverpool fans have taken to him. While a different manager who hadn't won a trophy yet might be getting a little bit more stick for it, but there doesn't seem to be any criticism of Klopp. And let me say this, all, all his personality, the laughing and all that belies the fact that he is a very good manager. He's shown that this season. Uh, Liverpool had some real defensive issues early on in the campaign, and he's fixed them. They've been very good the last few months. That first leg against City, to not concede a shot on target to that team is phenomenal. The way he adjusted on the fly to Coutinho leaving in January and tweaked the way they play, and they've gotten arguably even better. So I think underneath all that, he's actually a very good tactical coach as well. He's he's now coaching and has made uh, Mo Salah into arguably one of the best players in the world, too. You mentioned Firmino and and what he is and the constant uh, uh, improvement that we have seen to the level of which I never predicted uh, when, it, when it comes to what he's doing, doing right now. So you think, you think he's there for the long haul? Absolutely. 
I, I want to think that. I'm, maybe that's the, the romantic in me. I want to think that. And probably Liverpool fans want to think it. But don't you think there's a part of them that says, this, this can't last? Maybe the allure of Germany. Uh, down the road, yeah. he, he might want to coach the national team. Now, let, let me end this. Mossy makes a case on a, on a down note. Uh, <laughs> Perfect. That's, that's the way we like it. Go. Liverpool fans need to calm down a little bit because they've been insufferably annoying the last few weeks. I know you felt it too. We've talked about it. There's this cocktail of like arrogance mixed with inferiority complex. First of all, they're still pushing this canard that nobody gave them a chance against City, which is not true. People might have picked City, but everybody I heard said that Liverpool had a chance. They, they match up well with them. It's going to be a great tie. And, and then we posted our, our Champions League predictions last week. We both picked them to go through against Roma, but lose the final to Bayern Munich or Real Madrid. And some of the comments we were disrespecting Liverpool. Keep sleeping on them, guys. How is that sleeping on them to pick them to go to the final and maybe lose to a Real Madrid or Bayern Munich? So they need to calm down a little bit. They've gotten a little bit carried away with themselves. Were there people out there that were picking <laughs> Liverpool to go to the semifinals of the Champions League out there? Was this, was this something that I missed? Well, it, and you got a lot of stick for saying that they're ha- just happy to be in the semifinals. It's okay. And- <laughs> they're happy to be there because this is not something that they anticipated. While they may have thought about, yeah, maybe everything goes right and the soccer gods smile upon us and, and we get a good draw or something like that, that, that that could happen. But nobody was talking about that. So, and and... Look, it doesn't matter what you say, Mossy. The Liverpool fans are going to scream and yell. We found that when it comes to Manchester United, Liverpool, and Arsenal, that you, you can do no right. All you can do is wrong, especially if you have a microphone, especially if you say something good, bad, or any, anywhere in between about it. They are going to come down on you. And we're going to talk about the Champions League semis coming up. Uh, frankly, the team in the semis that has a right to have a chip on its shoulder right now and play the Nobody Believes in Us card is Roma because nobody gave them a yep. chance against Barcelona. We didn't even talk about it much on this pod because we were like, oh, that tie is, is a foregone conclusion. Let's not even waste too much time on it. And frankly, I haven't seen anybody pick them to go through against Liverpool. I mean, it, it seems unanimous from everybody I've seen that, that thinks Liverpool is going to go to the final here. So beware of Roma because they're the ones that have the right to have a bit of a chip on their shoulder right now. So Liverpool can't possibly screw this up, can they, Mossy, <laughs> right? I mean, they're playing inferior competition. They're flying right now. We just talked about the, the, the godlike status of their coach on the field. They have players of the year, and they have uh, incredible players uh, when it comes uh, to the world game. They cannot possibly screw this up. I will look forward to seeing them just completely demolish Roma in a home-and-away uh, series here and make their way to the final of Champions League. It's just going to be glorious the way it's it's what we predicted from the beginning all right that has been mossy makes the case a love letter if you will to both jurgen klopp and to liverpool (laughs) moving on ask alexi yes it's time for our ask alexi segment the segment where we take your questions with the hashtag ask alexi that you have asked over social media and my good friend david mossy reads a few select questions on the pod. All right, Mossy, what do the people want to know this week? All right, here we go. At Carson A. Merck, who is the best player in the world not named Ronaldo, Messi, or Neymar? That would be Mo Salah. And I would even, and I know this might be crazy right now, what he is doing and the team for which he is doing it even adds a little bit of a, of a push. So much so that I would say Oh, I know this is I know this is crazy. Ah. He's at, he's at Neymar's level. He is at, not as not not name recognition necessarily and not a, a global brand yet, but as far as when those guys are sitting on the sideline and I'm asked to pick my team and it comes down to Neymar 
and Mo Salah in this moment, right now, in April of 2018, who am I taking? And okay, well, I, I guess that's not fair because Neymar's been hurt. But let's just say before he got hurt. I, I, I think Mossy. Am I crazy? Am I crazy to pick Mo Salah? Uh, yes. Uh, Neymar on crutches, I would still take him. <laughs> is, there, is there a different name out there that you have? Harry Kane? No, Salah's a great choice, certainly. I tell you, I, I'm, a, I'm an Mbappe guy. I know he hasn't perhaps done enough to merit that number four spot, but I think just in terms of sheer talent, I think he's the next most talented player in the world that when it's all said and done is going to really have a special career that we're going to look back on and you know define an era. That's a good call. And, and our perception might change dramatically after this summer. We are uh, now seven, seven-ish weeks out, I think we are right now. So I can't believe it. All right, and next up, at Kiel... Quran, I think. Not even close, but it's okay. Do you think the NFL slash NBA hurts the player pool in the U.S.? I could only imagine Russell Westbrook, Adrian Peterson, LeBron James, dot, dot, dot. Presumably he means playing soccer. Oh, it's evergreen. What a chestnut. If only our best athletes played soccer, we'd have won the World Cup and we'd be so much farther along. When when people say this, I always tell them, well, maybe our best athletes do play soccer. And and I only use it to, to, to point up the fact that just because somebody is accomplished and good and recognizable as a talent in one sport doesn't necessarily mean that they would be good. And I know we, we grow up and we look at people and we say, they're just good athletes and they're just kind of good at every sport. And yes, yes, to a certain extent that, that applies. But the talents uh, and the abilities and the requirements for an American football player might be very, very different than what a soccer player, one of the greatest players ever to play the game right now, uh, that we're talking about, Messi, right? If you saw Messi walking down the streets in New York or Los Angeles and you didn't know anything about soccer, you wouldn't say, there goes one of the greatest players ever to play the game of soccer because of the way that he looks. Now, if you saw Cristiano walk down, you might say, well, that's possibly one of the greatest athletes ever to exist. So it's, it, it's not as simple as saying, if everybody played soccer in the United States, we would, we would be at better. Would I like to see it? And just from sure numbers... Yeah, that would be great. And all the attention and focus and competition that would, uh, that would increase, that would be wonderful. But I would, I would say, and this, I'll finish it with this, some of the quote-unquote great athletes that we identify in American sports in all the different sports that we have, it would be interesting had they grown up playing soccer, and I would bet that some of them wouldn't actually be successful as soccer players. Other ones that might, might come up, but the ones that we hold up on a pedestal you're a Tom Brady. I'm just using him as an example. When asked to do what a soccer player needs to do to develop and to grow, he might be very, very different. And so he might not automatically be a great soccer player. But is it hurting our player pool? Yeah. What do you want in a player pool? You want as many different players as possible. So yes, the fact that we have other sports and the fact that those sports are, sports are so popular, ultimately it does hurt our player pool. But it's not as easy and it's not the simple fix of saying every, if everybody if all our best athletes played soccer we'd be better Diego Maradona has the physique of George Costanza and he's one of the two or three greatest players of all time well you should know oh at bluesboy8 how good is LAFC oh LAFC so the new team that came into Major League Soccer this year all guns blazing they've been on the road now for a few months as a matter of fact they come back home to Los Angeles this weekend uh, and open up their brand new stadium their first home game ever a game that I will be doing I'm actually calling the game this weekend can't wait to get out there how good are they I think they're really good 
even before the season started, I said they're going to be consistently competitive. Now, I know they've gotten blown out a couple of games, but after these six games, if you look at what this team has done, it's pretty incredible considering that this is a brand new team, brand new coach, brand new players. When you look at it, they went on the road through the through entire six games. They get wins in Seattle. They get wins in RSL. They get wins in Vancouver. They get wins at Montreal. So they get four wins and two losses over the six games on the road. They're... Even if you're in existence for 22 years like the Los Angeles Galaxy, you would gladly take that from a road stance. So already I think they are battle-tested and ready to compete. They come back home this weekend to open up that brand-new stadium. A lot of pressure, even though they have such a, a good record and so many points. I think Bob Bradley has done a really good job of identifying pieces from all different parts. So yes, you spend your big money and you go get your Velas. Then you look within the league and you go get somebody like Urania, who for me is the most underappreciated an undervalued player uh, in the league to, co- to, to come in. Then you go into lower leagues, like a K. You go to another team and you make uh, Benny Failhaber come in, Zimmerman, these types, of, these types of players. And then obviously you have signings like Aber, the Egyptian. And then also big young signings like Rossi. It has all worked out well. Yes, they've gotten some games where, where it hasn't, but that's to, that's to be expected. I think they're going to yo-yo a little bit going through the season, but ultimately I think they're going to be competitive. And I still see them making the playoffs, as I said at the beginning of the season. So that's a long way of answering your question there, Blue Boys 8. But this is not the best team in the league, but a competitive team that on the day can beat anybody. That is it. Okay, that's been our Ask Alexi segment. You can hit us up on Twitter and Facebook and all the different social platforms out there with the Ask Alexi hashtag. And who knows, maybe someday in the future, David Mossy will be reading your question right here on the State of the Union podcast. All right, moving on. World Cup Update. Okay, we continue on with our World Cup Date segment where we pick a subject that we think is going to be important for this summer. We are now a little over seven weeks away from the World Cup this summer in Russia. Mossy, what are we going to talk about this week? Well, big news. Mohamed Salah did beat out Kevin De Bruyne for the PFA Player of the Year Award. We're going to spin this into the World Cup because both Salah and De Bruyne are headed to Russia. They'll be two of the big stars there. But uh, interestingly enough, uh, the Premier League was formed in 92-93. So over in the Premier League era, there's been six World Cups. Mm-hmm. And in none of them has a Premier League-based player at the time won the Golden Boot or the Golden Ball. And I've heard a lot after recent international tournaments that uh, the Premier League players are at a disadvantage because it's such a physically taxing league that they arrive at these tournaments more spent than other players. And so let, let's talk about that with Salah and De Bruyne and maybe branch it out to other Premier League players. But, let, you know, a guy like Salah who's had to carry such a load for Liverpool, play in all these games, and then, you know, is he going to have enough left in the tank to... Tr- we obviously, would have to carry Egypt if they're going to go far in this tournament. So is that a legitimate concern? Do you think that that's a real issue that we need to look at? Well, we established that Liverpool... Earlier in the pod, we established that Liverpool is just happy to be there, right? This is not something that they anticipated, nor that Egypt could have anticipated. Uh, so the wear and tear on his body going this far is going to be is going to be real. And in this day and age, with the amount of travel and with the amount of ga- games, I get it. As a player, I never wanted to train. All I wanted to do was play games. I would have been happy to have two games a week, every single week, and, and only do that. Now, when it comes to the World Cup, there certainly is a school of thought out there that say a, uh, a Neymar. You know what, he wants to get injured, but if there ever was a time for him to get injured as it relates to Brazil, 
this may set up perfectly because he got to go, he got to rest his body, he can come back stronger. And when I say not the body, I'm not just talking about the physical body. I'm, I'm talking about you know the mental strain and the stress of going through a season and the start and end type of ritual that a player has. You start the season and then you end and then you go on a little break and then you come back in preseason. It's thrown out of whack when you play internationally because you start and end, and especially in a World Cup year, not only do you end, but then you have to recognize that you may have some time off. Uh, either you're just given that or it's mandatory that you have time off. But you, it's not real time off because you have to be back and ready on May 28th, I think, is the official date that everybody is required to open up camp and to have their players available. And it's a very, very different type of schedule and ritual. So I think this is, I think this is all real. I'll be fascinated this summer to see which players are able to power through. And sometimes what we see is they power through the summer and then it really hits in the fall of their club season. So it can, it can come back to bite you. Uh, if from a club perspective, in terms of the wear and tear on bodies, and they just get through the summer. But if already Mo Salah playing for Egypt is going to be a little bit different, he's because Liverpool is not going to the World Cup. But if he just looks completely drained and completely drained in a situation where he's going to be asked to shoulder a lot of that burden and constantly everybody's going to be focused on him as one of the great players coming into this tournament, I'm sure that it's going to be blamed on the long season that he has, and he won't be the only one. There'll be plenty of them to say it's the long season. But you know what? We, everybody complains all the time about the amount of games. There's a simple fix. Don't play as many games. Ah, but then you affect the bottom line and the business of the sport. But it's, it's, it's easily fixable. But there is a cost, a, a tangible cost when it comes to money by fixing it. Because less games means less money. Less money ultimately trickles down to the players, less money to have. Yeah, Belgium's a country that really needs to worry about the Premier League thing because it's not just De Bruyne and half that team. I mean, it's, it's Lukaku, Hazard, De Bruyne, Fellaini, Dembele, Company, Vertonghen, Alderweireld, Courtois. I mean, it's, I joke with Warren Barton that when Belgium play England, there's going to be more Premier League players on Belgium than England. It's, so, no, listen, I think this whole thing is a very legitimate issue when you arrive at a major tournament, which players are fresher, which ones are coming off less taxing seasons. But I also think there's a time and place uh, to have that conversation. It did annoy me a little bit. Like 30 seconds after the Roma-Barcelona and the Man City-Liverpool games went final, Tim Vickery, who was a writer I have a lot of time for, I think he's very good, but he's already firing off tweets like, great news for Argentina, Messi and Aguero out of the Champions League. They're going to play less games. And I'm thinking, like, can, can I just live in the here and now and process the fact that Barcelona just got knocked out in one of the most stunning results in Champions League history, and you're telling me about the World Cup three months from now, how this is actually a benefit? And I know there's a lot of people that get it. You know, I, I hear it from my fellow Brazilian too, that they're happy when these Brazilian players get injured or if their teams get knocked out of competitions. And I don't know, I, I can't follow the sport that way. Like, I want them to do well. And so, you know, I, I'm always conflicted with that whole thing. But the other part to that is the players that you mentioned when it comes to Neymar, when it comes to Messi, they are playing in leagues where we know that 80% of the time when they walk on the field in their league play, they're going to win. And that's much less stressful than a, a league like the EPL, where, yes, it's top-heavy, but relative to other leagues, it's not. So if you're playing for Bayern Munich or something like that, while you may be playing longer, the amount of games, we talked about this last week, the amount of real games where you are stepping on the field and facing either equal or superior competition is very limited. You probably count it on one hand when it really comes down to it. So I do think that players that play in the EPL, and you mentioned Belgium with so many players, are at a disadvantage because of the, of the 
the relative parity to other leagues in Europe that the EPL has over them. Yeah, and, and there's been a lot of talk in Brazil, I think, uh, legitimately so, that things are breaking nicely because uh, Neymar, for starters, playing in the French League, which isn't that taxing, and then having this injury, he's going to arrive super fresh. Gabriel Jesus had an injury for two months. He missed that whole crazy Christmas period in England, and he's come back now and looking fresher than ever. And Coutinho, too, hasn't played that many games this season between his injuries and fake injuries and transfer and <laughs> then being cup-tied with <laughs> cup tied with and not playing the Champions League for Barcelona. So, yeah, th- there is a sense that Brazil's key players here are going to I'll be arriving in good form and fresh. Let me say one last thing about England, though, before we go. I tell you, if he has another game or two like he had this weekend, uh, Jaden Sancho, I think Gareth Southgate's going to be very tempted because he is a special, special talent. I've been telling you that I think him and not Pulisic is actually now viewed as the most talented youngster on that Dortmund team. And he showed it this weekend against Leverkusen. He put on a show. So if Are you South- calling it here? Are you calling breakout star? Yeah, if Southgate is worried about all his Premier League base players being tired and he's looking to add some fresh legs to that squad, I tell you, he could do a lot worse than bringing Jaden Sancho to this and World Cup. And if he Cup. brings him, breakout star. You heard it right here from David Moss. <laughs> all right, that's been our World Cup date uh, for this pod. As we said, a little more than seven weeks out from the World Cup. I cannot wait. All right, moving on. The back three. All right, coming down the back stretch here with our back three, the biggest stories or games or moments of the past week. All right, Mossy, what are we talking about? All right, let's start with the Champions League and Europa League semifinals. Champions League first. It is, we're taping this on a Monday. Tomorrow, it will be Liverpool, Roma, and Anfield, leg one. And then Wednesday, Bayern Munich, Real Madrid. Both matches live on FS1. We sort of talked about Liverpool, and the Mossy makes the case. So do you want to uh, go more here, Bayern, Real Madrid? I mean, that is the glamour tie. Yeah, I think we both agree that Liverpool is coming out against Roma. This is where the fairy tale ends for Roma. Uh, Liverpool, while happy to be there, say as long as we're here, we might as well at least go to the final. <laughs> And then lose, right? So that's that's what's going to happen in that one, right? Uh, that's on Tuesday, you said. And then when it comes to Bayern and Real Madrid, as I said before, this is the first time we get to see uh, Bayern Munich actually play somebody. So I I can't wait because I st- while they're good, okay, how good are they? Well, we are going to find out right now. And have they been saving up for this moment, or have they just been beaten up on teams that are much better than them throughout the year, and now? they are exposed for what they are, which is an okay team, but a team that when it really comes down to playing a team that's of equal or better competition, uh, they fold like a house of cards. I don't know how you say that in German, but yeah. (laughs) Well, the interesting thing lineup-wise is Jupp Heynckes has turned James Rodriguez into like a deep-lying playmaker. He's played alongside Javi Martinez in a lot of games this season, and that's a creative way he's found to get James, Muller, Robin, and Ribery, and Lewandowski all in the same lineup. Now, you can do that against Augsburg. I don't know if you can do that against Real Madrid, and he's lost Vidal, who's going to miss the rest of the season. So it's going to be interesting to see if he goes more defensive there and plays like a Toliso or a Rudy, or if he plays James. Probably the compromise between those two is Thiago, so I actually suspect he'll be alongside Javi Martinez in the center of the park. And then that begs the question, does, can you fit James anywhere else? Because that would mean dropping one of Muller, Robin, or Ribéry, and that would be a big story if you left one of those guys out for a big game. And so here's James, who has a point to prove and, and left Real Madrid because he was so annoyed at the lack of playing time, and this is his big chance to show Zidane. And if that team sheet comes out on Wednesday and he's not in the 11, it's going to be actually kind of funny, but, but cry. very disappointing for him. We'll get that backstage look, and there'll be But tears. yeah, James uh, you know, has been the big story here leading into this tie. Carlos Valderrama, his countryman, 
came out and said that, you know, uh, Hamez, this is a big revenge. He can say whatever he wants, you know, no hard feelings, but there definitely are some hard feelings there. I mean, keep in mind, this is a guy who was the top scorer at the last World Cup, who Real Madrid played 80 million euros for, and it got so bad with Zidane, he didn't crack the 18 for last season's Champions League final. It wasn't just not starting. He wasn't on the 18. He was watching the match in a suit in the stands. So there are some bitter feelings there, even though he says Zidane was his idol and still is. Uh, And I think if he gets on that field, that's a big thing to watch because he's going to be incredibly motivated. You think they hug Zidane and, and Hamas? No, I don't no? think there's, don't think there's a hug. I bet you there's a hug. <laughs> a little fake a pleasantry. No, there. no, I think I think it's real. I think that deep down he's while you while you may have wronged me, you're still my <laughs> idol and I still want a hug. I still want a hug. And, and Roma incidentally, just one quick thing on them. The last two rounds they lost the first leg away to Shakhtar and Barcelona, but in both instances managed to get an away goal which proved very important. They were able to come back home, get a result and go through on away goal. So that bears watching. If they lose like 2-1, 3-1 Tomorrow, it's not the end of the world for them. They'll they'll draw strength from the fact that hey, we've been here before. We, you know, so. Oh, you be careful going to that well too many times. <laughs> you be careful. All right, what else? All right, let's do a little weekend uh, roundup in Europe here. But let's start with the FA Cup semis. Uh, you covered the game on Saturday. Manchester United rallied to beat Tottenham 2-1. And then Chelsea on Sunday beat Southampton 2-0. So it sets up a United-Chelsea final. First off, just to put a ribbon on the semis, are you a believer that Tottenham, this is getting to become an issue here, the not winning a trophy? And we know Pochettino's done a nice job, but does he need to cash in here at some point? No, I'm, I'm not. I don't think that this is dark days for Tottenham because I don't believe that Tottenham I don't think they care to be quite honest not the players and not the not the team I just don't think that that organization has yet really cares about being elite that being a super club they might talk about it but that's not what they are they are content being the bridesmaid and I know I said that and Warren Barton flipped out uh, the other day I love you Warren if you're listening listening right now but that's 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 who they are so I don't think that there is this internal or external consternation at the fact that they haven't yet won a trophy. He, I think he's taken them in a good direction, that he, it's, it's a positive direction, but that ultimate payoff, I, don't, I just don't see that as part of the equation, really, for Spurs. Do you? No, and, and quick thought on the final. I know we have a month to go, so we'll talk about it more when it gets closer, but uh, United-Chelsea, you leaning one way or the, another there? I just can't wait to see Mourinho come back against Chelsea <laughs> and want to destroy it. And we talked about... Uh, the fact that when Mourinho said there's a lot of poets out there that haven't won a lot of uh, a lot of titles, and Mourinho is not a poet. Admittedly, he is not a poet. He is about results, and if that's all you are about, then you damn well better have results. And for a year where they went out in Champions League, they're obviously not going to win the, the Premier League. This is huge, huge for them to be able to say, look, ultimately, I am about results, I'm about trophies, and now you get to raise a trophy here. And to be able to do it against Chelsea, I think that would be icing on the cake for him. So I can't wait for that to happen. A couple more things from this weekend. Barcelona hammered Sevilla 5-0 in the Copa del Rey final. The story was in yesterday. He put on an absolute masterclass in what will be his last final for Barcelona because he's going to announce this week that he's leaving for China. And so a lot of stories about this being the end of an era. I know you're somebody that feels that it's been sort of proven here in the last few years that that was just like a unique, special generation, the Xavi, Iniesta group, and Messi obviously came up around that time, that it's not like they can just turn out Iniesta. So it's going to be a long time before we see a player like that again, right? Well, wait, if it's Mastin Club and it's La Masia <laughs> and all that kind of stuff, then there should be another one waiting to be churned out. I thought it was a, a product. I thought it was about an identity and a philosophy and a way that they train people and all that kind of stuff. If it's, if it's not the case, then it's all a bunch of BS and it's just a golden generation. And if that's what you're basing your identity on, 
is a golden generation or just waiting for that golden generation to come, come about, that's not development. So, I, look, I, I know we've talked, about, <laughs> we've talked about this before. While certainly Iniesta is an incredible and once-in-a-lifetime type of player, you still should be able to churn out one or multiple players that can at least approximate what he does. In defense of them, they turned out Thiago, but then let him go to Bayern Munich. He would have been the natural replacement. But yeah, the days of the days of Cartera versus Cantera, they used to ridicule Real Madrid for that. Those are over because Barcelona now spends as much as anybody. I mean, what they paid for Dembele and Coutinho, and what they're going to possibly pay for Griezmann this summer. So that's also not development. They've buying gone, your best yeah, players is yeah. not development. Oh, yeah. right, don't get me started. And then we the last a whole thing, pot on this. last room for the weekend, there was a. Top of the table clash in Italy, and it was Napoli that won 1-0 away to Juventus. Had Juventus won this game, it would have been lights out. But now it cuts it down to one-point gap with four rounds to go. Juve, which the much tougher schedule of two, they still have to go away to Inter and away to Roma. So this is looking like a real possibility here. This is Juve going for seven in a row, but Napoli going for their first Scudetto since 1990, the days of Maradona and Careca. And you played in Italy. I mean, what a story that would be oh. if Napoli... Uh, Pipped Juventus for the title. Oh, it'd be incredible. I mean, I, I like that we actually have a title race. It's, yeah, it's the only one left. <laughs> it's unique. <laughs> and then we will end on this. Fernando Torres uh, rumors to MLS are, uh, to borrow a phrase that uh, our producer Alex Dowd used, percolating. Um, <laughs> the Chicago Fire and Montreal Impact apparently both being linked with Torres. What do you think? Fernando Torres, uh, the the obviously talented but incredibly frustrating Fernando Torres. I, ha, has there ever been a player and a case study of a player collapsing more physically and mentally than Fernando Torres after Liverpool? And I know he went on and, and but wasn't a starter necessarily for Chelsea. And yes, I know he won some things, but he was never the same player. And whether it was just the incredible transfer money, uh, whether it was just all the attention, whatever it was, the reality is that for the last, what, eight years, nine years, whatever it ends up being, he's not been a, a, a great player. He's an okay player, and what he has done certainly is commendable, but why would you want a player that's a, a shell of his former self? And I'm not talking about a Zlatan that a year ago was one of the world's best and then had an injury. I'm talking about the shell of his former self for multiple, multiple years now. Why would you want that player? Because of the name. That's why you want him. All right. If you can, speaking of Zlatan, if you are able to get Fernando Torres on a non-designated player type of situation where you're just using TAM money or something like that, then I guess it's worth, I guess it's worth the shot. But I... I remain skeptical and I remain very low in terms of my expectations of what Fernando Torres can do in MLS, whether it's for Montreal or Fire or anybody. And the Europa League semis also get underway this week. Uh, Arsenal against Atletico Madrid. A lot of talk about Wenger, who's never won a European trophy. Uh, that would be sort of a storybook ending for him if Arsenal won the Europa League. But also Torres, who's leaving Atletico, that would be kind of a, a neat way for him to go out if Atletico Madrid were to win the Europa League. So that's another subplot. Uh, so Torres and Atletico Madrid win Europa League, and then his triumphant departure and uh, arrival in Major League Soccer to conquer the uh, North American Shores. There right? you go. Oh, yep. It's written. It's written. All right. That has been our back three. We come to the end of our pod, and at the end of each and every pod, I give you my one big thing from today's podcast. And while we didn't discuss it specifically, 
My one big thing from today's podcast would be this. This weekend in Major League Soccer, we saw a number of games, and a number of games with lots of goals. So whether it is 6 nothing Sporting KC being, beating Vancouver, whether it is five to three LAFC beating Montreal, whether it's five to one Houston beating Toronto, and the list goes on and on with games with lots of goals. I saw this weekend a narrative out there that this is somehow an indication of the lack of money and talent when it comes to defending in the league. Mossy, as you know, I love goals. Even as a defender, I, I, I appreciate defending, but if we are at the point where we are lamenting the fact that there are so many goals going into the back of the net in Major League Soccer, then we have lost our mind. I'm not saying that good defending shouldn't be applauded and good defenders shouldn't be prized, but the reality is that the most difficult thing in the world in our game, regardless of where it's played, is putting the ball in the back of the net. And when it happens, and it happens on a consistent basis, and it happens a lot, we should be proud. We should not and we should be excited, and we should have joy. And we shouldn't poo-poo the fact that there are being goals scored. Love it, because guess what? The soccer gods, they giveth and they taketh away. And next week, you might have to sit through a bunch of great defending, but boring games when it comes to that ball going into the back of the net. So I applaud, I am excited, I love the fact that there are goals being scored, and Going forward, I hope there are more goals being scored out there. And if that means that we have to go out and get some better defenders, that's okay too. But never, ever look at the soccer gods and say, no, we don't want any more goals. Goals are good, Mossy. That's my final, final word on today. My one big thing from today's podcast. All right, we've come to the end of yet another podcast. You can hit us up on all the different social media platforms, including Twitter. Uh, Mossy, what is your Twitter handle? At Statman Mossy. At Statman Mossy. Do it because he constantly responds at all hours of the night. I am at Alexi Lalas on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook. Uh, hit us up with that Ask Alexi hashtag, and we may read your questions. Or if you just want to comment or scream and yell at us, uh, many, pe many people do. We will see you again next week on another episode of the State of the Union podcast. It has been my pleasure. Had a wonderful time talking about all the great things that are happening here and abroad when it comes to this great game on and off the field. We'll see you next week. And as always, size the day.